Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, so, so why don't you walk me through when you first started hearing about your brother wanting to go to Venezuela to okay. join some sort of military operation? Sure, sure. Uh, so... He lets me know he's in Colombia, and I immediately kind of heavy sigh, what, what are you doing, man? Because him and me have always had this back and forth where since he left Special Forces, he's always getting offers from, we'll be on a hunting trip, and guys will talk about how much money they made doing contracting. Mercenary work. Contracting work, sure. Tell them how much money they're making. They'll tell me anytime you want to get into it, you can. And I always would say to him, dude, clear and present danger, because I'm always going back to the plot of that movie, like if you don't have that US flag on your shoulder, they don't have responsibility for you. The reason they're hiring you is because you're deniable. So for seven years, since he left the military, he's never accepted any of these offers. So now he tells me in Colombia, what are you doing in Colombia? He says, training Venezuelans. I was surprised. So he's texting you in 2020 at this point, right? Yep. Early 2020. And he's saying he's involved in an operation. Did he tell you what it was for? He, he didn't call it an operation. He just says he's down there. And I said, my response was, who are you doing this for? One, private company. Two, U.S. government. Three, both. Like a mixture. And he says, yeah, a mixture of both. So he says it's a private contract sanctioned by the U.S. government, hired by the president of, the rightful president, I don't remember the exact phrasing he used, but the rightful president of Venezuela. And so he, th- he from what you're gathering, he thinks this is completely backed yes. by the Trump Yes, this is a U.S. operation, this is, exactly. So what happens then? You keep talking to him and then... On and off, and we just talk about random stuff. What am I doing in school? How he's doing there? The weather's hot, whatever. Not much for several months. And then he, at some point, lets me know, pay attention to the news on these dates. And so I'm watching that and I see, uh, the first headline I see early the morning of May the 4th is Venezuela claims they repelled U.S. invasion. And immediately, like, uh, it's like that. Your heart drops. Yes, this does not sound good. that seems like it was ripped right from the pages of a spy novel, but it's playing out in real life. You hear about this story? Two former U.S. Special Forces now detained in Venezuela among a group of mercenaries involved in an alleged plot to overthrow Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro. An operation to invade and kidnap Maduro shocked everyone, it seemed, but Maduro himself. Operation Gideon, as this botched mission was dubbed, was over before the two boats even hit Venezuela's shores. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm your host, Ariel Dumaras. I'm Ben Maku, and I'm a national security reporter for Vice News.
Okay, so ADR, I don't know if you heard this story uh, when it happened at the time. It was like May 2020. Um, it's about this operation. So it was led by a former U.S. Green Beret, and he was trying to overthrow the government of Venezuela. Okay, so I do remember some of this kind of vaguely. I remember it as something that I think was not successful, obviously. Spectacularly unsuccessful. The whole plan, it happened, I mean, it didn't all happen online, but, like, key parts of it were transmitted on Twitter. And then there was videos, and it kind of all unfolded as this kind of 2020 Twitter coup slash one of the most spectacular, spectacularly failed coups that I think anyone could ever think of. So I do remember that an opposition politician named Juan Guaido was and still is actually challenging the legitimacy of President Nicolas Maduro and that there was a coup attempt by some some group. But I I have to admit that I don't remember the Twitter thing at all. So in May 2020, this tweet shows up and it's from a purported U.S. mercenary who's an ex-Green Beret. His name's Jordan Goudreau. And he's talking about a coup of Venezuela. And this is literally this is the this is the 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 tweet. And it's it's directed at the president at the time, real Donald Trump. It says strike force incursion into Venezuela, 60 Venezuelans. Two American ex-Green Berets at real Donald Trump. So this is the night before he's supposedly going to launch his coup d'etat against against the Venezuelan government to overthrow it, which essentially outlines Wait, and he's the plot. just tweeting it out? He's just tweeting it out. And then around the same time, a video comes out. Venezolanos y compañeros de la Fuerza Armada, superiores y subalternos. Of him on Twitter with this very serious-looking Venezuelan ex-soldier, and they're kind of in this, you know, this, like, this canopy in some tropical area. 1,700 hours, a daring amphibious raid was launched from the border of Colombia deep into the heart of Caracas. And they're basically saying some wild stuff, like, we're out here, we're about to, like, attack, we're still, we're still fighting the Venezuelan government. Commander Nieto is with me, is co-located, and Commander Sake is on the ground now fighting. And so these videos start emerging. We start getting an idea of who's there, and literally everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? Okay, so I, I think I still need a little more here. Like, what are the details of this plan? So... The way it was reported at that point was two American ex-Green Berets and 60 dudes, which, you know, comprised of what was believed to be ex-Venezuelan military and uh, okay. police. Uh, and they would sail from a remote part of Colombia and they were going to co- kind of take these boats over into Venezuela with, you know, this force and start taking over, you know, some sort of swath of Venezuela to launch a bigger attack into the capital undetected, so the capital being Caracas. Uh, one group would start hitting at, you know, radio and TV stations. You know, it was classic warfare, cutting out communications. Another would take over the airport. And another, and this is where it gets, like, really, really ridiculous, they would fly a helicopter into Caracas, land on the presidential palace, kidnap or kill Nicolas Maduro, the Venezuelan president, and then exfiltrate him back to the U.S. Okay, but clearly this mission failed, so... What exactly happened? Well, we're just, we're still trying to figure that out. 
you know, why the hell are a bunch of former Green Berets getting involved in a failed coup attempt in Venezuela of this magnitude? And also, like, why, why was it so amateurishly done? This story, it's crazy. But also, it's like a microcosm of a much, much bigger industry that's growing. This industry of ex-U.S. military types doing mercenary work, essentially war for hire. And it's all hidden in plain sight and just so, so murky. So here's what we know about this failed mission, Operation Gideon. At least six soldiers were killed, more than a dozen men were reportedly captured by the Venezuelan government, and two of those guys, two of them were American mercenaries. Or at least, that's how they've been described. One of them was the brother of the guy I talked to at the top of this episode. Both of them were Green Berets that served with Jordan Gaudreau. He's the guy who came up with this whole plan and then tweeted it at the president. But the crazy part is, when they were caught, they weren't dressed like soldiers. They were wearing, like, beach clothing. Wait, what? This is, we're in the middle of a coup here and they're wearing beachwear? They're wearing beachwear. I, I think, so, so, there's been some people saying they were wearing shorts and flip-flops. It's not completely clear if they're wearing the flip-flops or not, but they definitely were wearing shorts and t-shirts and it did not look like they were about to take over a very well-armed, well-backed <laughs> Venezuelan government. And, you know, I start reporting on this because I, you know, I'm somebody who has a has a lot of sources in ex-military and I, I, I've covered the mercenary world in the past. And so I'm watching that and I see uh, the first headline I see. And so is Mark Denman. And he's the guy who told me his brother, Luke, was one of the ex-Green Berets involved in the mission. Early the morning of May the 4th is Venezuela claims they repelled U.S. invasion. And immediately, like, I was like, that is... Your heart drops. Yes, it does not sound good. And the first image I come across is a pickup truck with a stack of body bags in the back. And now I'm like, I'm going to have to have a conversation with our parents. What am I going to say? I'm just in this panic, looking, looking, looking. So then he's, he's looking at all the clips on Twitter of Venezuelan state television. And he starts seeing, you know, these guys with their faces down, they're zip-tied. And then eventually um, I get... It was actually one of his tattoos I saw in the corner of a photo. And he's looking, looking for signs of his brother, and he sees some tattoos. I think it was on the forearm. So I'm like, okay, well, I know that's not him in a body bag, and he's got zip ties on him, so he's probably alive. So at least I have that. But I'm finding out as much as I can, as quickly as I can, right? And I start coming across uh, a little bit more in-depth coverage and Silvercore USA is the company behind this. And so I, I get their corporate number and that's Jordan Grudeau's cell phone. That's the guy in those videos who allegedly led the mission. He gets him on the phone. He answers. He seems extremely surprised to be hearing from me because this was probably two and a half hours after the news broke. And then he says, um, I remember exactly, he's like, we went there with a particular mission and now that mission has changed and we're doing everything we can to get our men out. And I said, essentially I said, look, my brother trusted you. I'm gonna extend you the benefit of the doubt here. Look, be in touch, let me know. And he's like, you know, I'm fielding 20 million calls right now. We're doing everything we can to get, you know, direct US involvement to get these guys out immediately, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna let you do that. Talk to us when you can. Have you heard from him since? No. Have no. you tried? Yeah. And I'm nothing. Bit. Nothing at all. And Mark looks into Silvercore. That's the company that Goudreau owns and which hired his brother. I, as I start looking at the material, like everything about his company was featuring him, 
you know, like freshly shaven bare chest running along the beach. Everything about Silvercore seems like an elaborate Tinder profile built for Jordan Goudreau. Like it's a it's a Tinder profile Jordan Goudreau vehicle. Silvercore USA was founded to do just this, to remove threats, keep your family safe. Like lots of shirtless pics holding guns, helicopter action shots, you know, just ridiculous like military-esque stuff that's just there. The world is dangerous. Some problems can't be solved with conversation. You know, the other thing about it is that it it's a company that Goudreau marketed after the Parkland shooting in Florida. And his pitch was to take ex-Special Forces guys and send them to protect Florida schools from mass shooters. What I realize is like, okay, I don't know who this Jordan Goudreau character is. I don't know what his game plan was. I don't know why he's doing things the way that he's doing it, but I do know my brother. I know the type of man he is. I know what his values are. He's a sharp guy. I don't know what led to this situation. I'm guessing there's a lot of very smart clandestine services involved. I mean, you don't exactly have this kind of thing happen without a lot of people knowing about it that are in the know. I mean, there's, they had, what, three or four camps with multiple hundreds of guys and all kinds of armed shipments going on and jets going back and forth. Like, people knew what was really going on, but that's not out in the public eye yet. And that's kind of what I wanted to dig into. Like, who was really behind this whole thing? And what happened to the guys who were involved with it? We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So at this point, we now have two Americans who are in jail in Venezuela. And like, this is a complete fuck up that has that is being reported internationally. Like people are actually laughing at this. Right. <laughs> do we know what the actual goal was? So we do know we know that the actual goal at some point was to overthrow the Maduro regime, much like, you know, the Cuban expat community that's been trying to overthrow the Cuban government. There's sort of a parallel group of expat Venezuelans who are doing the same. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those opportunities. I think, you know, we got to refresh our memories on the situation in Venezuela at the time. Now to the growing chaos in Venezuela, both the opposition leader and President Maduro are calling for supporters to protest again today. 
So in 2019, there's a bunch of political turmoil in Venezuela. People are starving. Amid international sanctions against the socialist Maduro government, the value of the Bolivar continued to plummet, leaving people desperate for hard currency. And the opposition in Venezuela names this guy, Juan Guaido, to be the acting president in opposition to Maduro. Guaido declares himself acting president of Venezuela on January 23rd, the first opposition leader to go this far in the fight against Maduro. And then and then that president that presidentship is respected by you know, U.S. and many of its top allies, including Canada, the U.K. In Washington, the president tweeting his support for the people of Venezuela. And Juan Guaido kind of becomes this figurehead of of the opposition to Maduro. And he's this very handsome dude. He's young. A lot of people compare him to Obama Hmm. with the way that, you know, he was was a very good talker. So he starts gathering up a lot of support, even in the U.S., among among a lot of politicians and, you know, senators, congressmen. And his group of expat Venezuelans, along with, you know, Venezuelans who were, who were in the country, such are thinking about plotting against Maduro and how they can actually take over the country. Okay. So we wanted to, you know, part of this, we needed to contact the Juan Guaido people and they wouldn't really talk to us. So we meet, you know, this guy who was Juan Guaido's right-hand man for a time. I'm in Miami and I'm about to meet J.J. Rendon, who's this shady political fixer in Latin America, and he was instrumental in this entire operation. He is part of the Venezuelan opposition. I've been trying to talk to him for weeks and pin him down for an interview, and he's finally accepted to do it in his penthouse apartment. And let me tell you, J.J. Rendon is one of the most interesting fellows I've ever met in my entire reporting career. He's from Venezuela. He has refugee status in the U.S., and he's kind of like political strategist, fixer extraordinaire. Hmm. You know, he's this guy who's known for, like, making election victories happen in Latin America. Yeah, but but you will record sound? Pretty eccentric guy. Okay, can I smoke? He only wears black. He's a fervent anti-socialist, anti-communist. No, no, before. Can I have a coffee? Right. Ooh, that was a good one. So, how long have you been trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government? Uh, Depends on what you call on patrol. We were fighting him. The last, even before Chavez gained power, myself. So it's been a while that you've been actually going against... 22 years. 24. The current Venezuelan government. The pre-Venezuelan Chavez, the Chavez, and Maduro. And do they consider you their enemy? Publicly, yes. Maduro mentioned me as an enemy, number one of their supposed revolution. 198. So J.J. Rendon starts working with Juan Guaido and, you know, they're working for months and they're crafting plans. And Rendon's part of this sort of this crew that's looking into the mercenary options, the different options of how they can possibly overthrow Maduro. And is all of this, I mean, we're talking about overthrowing a government, so I'm assuming the answer is no. But like, is any of this legal? Like, is it legal for people to plot to overthrow a government from the U.S.? It, it actually, in this case, I'm not a lawyer, but it, it, it does seem to be legal because, again, and this is... This it is, is? Yes, and this is what Rendon's... Uh, this is what his, his, his defense of this is. He's, he's, he's like, look, we're the legitimate government of Venezuela. We're respected internationally by the government of the United States of America. We have a legitimate mm. right to use force against an enemy of our state, which is Nicolas Maduro. Got it. 
But of course, they don't have their own army. So what do they need? Mercenaries. So it seems to me that they were either short on cash or nobody took them seriously because somehow they end up with, of all places, Silvercore. <laughs> Meaning that Silvercore is like the budget, like, coup firm at this point, yes, right? Yes, like like you, you wanted the Lamborghini and you settled for the RAV4. So... When did you hear about a potential operation that Jordan was going to carry out? In the second or third meeting, uh, he came with a, like, hey, I have uh, contact with the Venezuelans that were exiled, self-exiled, some of them, in Colombia. I went there, I know them, I'm training them, or I'm, like, kind of in control of the situation. And we, meaning them, we're planning eventually to do something. Rendon says that Jordan said they had money and supplies and that they were going to set up training camps in Colombia and they had the full cooperation of the U.S. government and they wanted to send soldiers over the border. And Rendon and his boss, you know, Guaido, they were interested. You know, that perked their ears up. So you're saying then that there was some awareness that Jordan Goudreau had mm -hmm. planned to undertake some sort of offensive operation? A military action, let's call it. Military action. And the relationship didn't end then. No way. It continued. We went, we went deeper. We asked the president. The president asked. Again, here when he says the president, he means Juan Guaido, the Venezuelan opposition leader who maintains that he's the rightful president, and he's still respected as such by a lot of countries around the world. And the president asked, "Okay, dig deeper, check it out." So, in further meetings, we talked to him and say, "Look, how big is this?" So by the fall of 2019, Rendon and Jordan, they sign a contract, and in it includes a $1.5 million retainer fee. And then <laughs> the promise of potentially $212 million worth of barrels of oil from Venezuela. What? If they're successful, Jordan and co., in overthrowing the Maduro regime. And they agreed that Jordan would create these training camps in Colombia uh, to train up an army of revolutionaries. But after a few more meetings, Rendon says he started to grow suspicious of Jordan. Jordan would apparently lose his temper and ask for more money up front. And he was very nasty in a text that I will give to you. And so Rendon would say, you know, no. Saying I did my homework in Washington, your image is destroyed, uh, your name is thrown to the moon. Then eventually, Rendon seeing a problem, he basically pays Jordan $50,000. And by the way, this isn't just me that, that's saying this, Rendon confirmed this to us, paid him $50,000 $50, worth of uh, fuck-off money, is the way I'd describe it. Okay, but the plan still goes ahead, though. Well, so according to Rendon, that was it for them. He says, had nothing to do with it. But Rendon does tell me what he thinks did happen. He tells me that he had heard that the Venezuelan government had actually infiltrated the whole thing. That they had spies who were embedded in the mission from the very beginning, and that this is why this plan, well, it's why it failed so spectacularly. And is that true? Honestly, all signs point to that. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so if I understand correctly, there's this plan by a group of mercenaries led by an American, this former Green Beret, and it's backed at least initially by money provided by Venezuelans living in the U.S. who want to oust the the president, Maduro. Yes, exactly. And now you suspect that the Venezuelan government actually found out about this plan ahead of time. That's the rumor we start to hear. And we thought, you know, the best way to figure out this story is we need to speak to the people who took part in this failed coup. So we found one guy. He's a former Venezuelan soldier, and he said he was never paid and that he volunteered for this mission because he wanted to overthrow Maduro and change his country. He says he was in the camps in Colombia, and he was pretty taken aback by what he saw. Like the Americans who were supposedly leading this mission, they didn't speak Spanish, so communicating was pretty hard. And it didn't seem like anyone knew what was going on. And they were training for a mission without any guns. He said at one point they were practicing with stick guns. And this guy keeps asking Jordan and the other Americans, like, when are the actual guns coming? And they kept saying, soon, soon, soon. Oh, shit. So this guy leaves, but he tells us, and another source then confirms it, that around this time, someone who was part of the operation gets arrested by the Venezuelan government. And then in March of 2020, this report appears on Venezuelan state television. The Venezuelan government announces in this report that there's a plan to stage a coup and that it's backed by American soldiers. They actually name Jordan Goudreau and name Aaron Barry and name Luke Denman, the two, you know, the ex-Green Berets. All the different people that were involved, that were connected to opposition leader Juan Guaido planning Operation Gideon, they actually showed the contract that Guaido and Jordan had signed together. Okay, so that's evidence that the Venezuelan government likely knew about this plan. That's what it seems like. It seems like they had a mole or they had infiltrated the group somehow. So this guy's like, surely they're going to call off this whole operation. There's no way they're going to go ahead with this. And he says around that time, a lot of them start leaving one by one. So now the force that started in like the hundreds whittles down little by little until approximately 60 guys are left. But again, the plan still goes ahead. And we just, we wanted to hear the end. Like we wanted to talk with someone who was involved in the final mission in the final days. Somebody who was on the boats trying to storm those beaches. And it took a while. And after speaking to some of the characters directly involved with this entire operation, they put us in touch with one of those guys. We went to meet him in Colombia. But he asked that we keep his name and details completely anonymous. 
So we've altered his voice, and we'll call him by his alias, Roberto. So, Roberto lived and trained in these camps in Colombia with other ex-Venezuelan soldiers. He himself is an ex-Venezuelan soldier. And the Green Berets, Aaron and Luke. And he also confirms what others told me, that it was chaotic and a bit confusing the entire time. But Roberto also says he believed in the plan. He believed it actually could work. So according to Roberto, the plan was that the men would divide into two boats and land on the coast of Venezuela as one of the waves of the operation. He says they were dressed in casual clothes to look like fishermen and to be less obvious and not to look like armed soldiers trying to overthrow the Maduro government. Now, here's the interesting part. He says it wasn't directly supposed to be an invasion. The plan was to set up camp deep in the bushes, not far from Caracas, to build up a force, and then a few weeks later, launch an operation on the capital of Venezuela. But it took two days to get to Venezuela. And on the second day, they heard on the sat phone that the other boat had been captured by the Venezuelan government and people had been killed. And so he's hearing this while he and the other team is out on the water, headed for Venezuela, and they're in the ocean and not really sure what to do. They decide to land on the coast and go into hiding. Roberto says a bunch of the guys he was with get captured by the Venezuelan military. He says he actually sees Luke and Aaron get arrested out on the water, but he says he escapes. And eventually, he walks alone for around 40 days through the mountains and back into Colombia. Jesus. And after a month or so, once he gets to a town with Wi-Fi, he looks at Twitter and media and he sees that while he and the other soldiers had been on the ocean heading for the coast of Venezuela, that the glorious leader of the mission, Jordan Gaudreau, had been tweeting the whole plan. And he tells me, basically paraphrasing in my worst French, he thinks Jordan is a fucking idiot. So clearly there's a lot of he said, he said here, right? People are just pointing fingers at each other all over the place. Totally. And it's like, it's one of those things where it was also such a failure that no one wants to take the blame and everyone has a different theory of who was behind it. But also there's a lot of questions surrounding whether or not the U.S. government was involved and approved of it, the Trump administration. Huh. So what do you think? What does your reporting show? So I, I, believe, I believe the Trump administration likely had an idea of it, given just how loud this was in different circles. I do know from my own sources that the U.S. government, parts of the intelligence apparatus, knew that it was happening. But of course, the Trump administration denies knowing anything about this plan at all. And what about Jordan Goudreau? So he completely disappeared. He very briefly pops up in this Rolling Stone interview, and I believe that was like late 2020. That was his last public statement that I can find. Uh, He's essentially gone into hiding. We reached out to Goudreau, and through his lawyer, he declined to answer a detailed list of questions about his role in Operation Gideon. The only thing he did respond to were questions about his relationship to Maduro. His lawyer said that Goudreau, quote, denies any and all coordination with the Maduro regime, unquote. 
Guaido, the opposition leader, he responded to me with a statement saying that he had nothing to do with the failed coup and that according to him, the whole plan was actually orchestrated by the Maduro government. But the fallout continues, and as of now, the Venezuelan government has arrested dozens and dozens of people they say were connected to this operation in any way, shape, or form. But Mark's brother Luke and the other former Green Beret that was in this operation, they've been convicted and sentenced in Venezuela and are serving prison time for terrorism charges. I mean, this really just seems like a B-team Jason Bourne movie. Like, you have just told me how this kind of thing actually happens. But at the same time, I'm like, how do we live in a world where a group of former Green Berets can get a contract to attempt a coup on a sovereign nation? And then there's another part of me that's wondering, like, have we always lived in that world? And we just don't see it until it becomes like a major fuck up like it was in this case. I mean, yes, it's not totally knowable how big the international mercenary market is exactly. But one thing is for sure, there are a lot of guns for hire that have been trained in the U.S. military. And honestly, I think this is partly the terrible legacy of the war on terror and the thousands of vets that it churned out, right? Like, a lot of them come back from these endless wars and, you know, their skill set is fighting and fighting in wars, you know, and shooting and, you know, kill capture missions and riding in a Humvee with a 50 cal at the top. Like, these aren't skills that necessarily lend themselves to civilian life. Right. So you've seen all sorts of bizarre, you know, really bizarre mercenary outfits, whether it's Blackwater or these guys, these people that are kind of capitalizing on their experience to find work in this sort of dangerous environment. And and this is happening everywhere. It's not just you know, Juan Guaido. It, it's, you know, there's countries around the world who are seeing the opportunity in ex-U.S. military uh, personnel who need contracts and who just, are, who come, trained, ready to go. It's just created such a boom in the mercenary industry. And that's why weird and tragic fuck-ups like this, like what happened in this situation in Venezuela, can go down. was reported by Ben Maku and Miguel Fernandez-Flores. Vice News Reports is produced by Jesse Alejandro Cutrell, Sophie Cazes, Jen Kinney, Janice Yamoka, Julia Nutter, and Sarah Quevedo. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek and Adiza Egan. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, Natasha Jacobs, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zemros. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but for real, please take the time to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.